Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Continuing our second day of our new series, God's Provision, let's turn in our Bibles to Psalm chapter 23, verses 1 to 4, as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message entitled, The Shepherd Provides. You know, some time ago, I came across a little prayer, which was entitled, A Prayer for Help. And it went like this. Dear God, so far today, I've done all right. I haven't gossiped, lost my temper, been nasty, selfish, or overindulgent. But in a few minutes, God, I'm going to get out of bed. And from then on, I'm going to need all the help I can get. How many of you can identify with that? Sure, I can. And the reason I share that prayer is because I'm convinced that I need God more than I know, more times than I can recount. I need him for my daily bread and he supplies it. I need him for the energy that is required to make it through the day, and he graciously gives it. I need him to keep me from sinning, and he's provided that strength. I need him to infuse my heart with love for him and for my neighbor, and he has changed my heart. In short, I'm utterly helpless without him. And I've started a brief discussion on Psalm 23, and David has said that because the Lord is his shepherd, he is not in want of anything he needs. And the first three verses of that psalm read, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. You know, Psalm 23 is the most familiar of the 150 psalms in our Bible. The first verse is the main idea or the theme for the entire psalm. It simply says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And, and if you think about it, this is an incredible thing to say. You know, when David says that he shall not want, he means to say that because the God of Israel is his shepherd, he finds he has all he ever wanted. He is left without any further desires for all his desires have been fulfilled in God. And if we're brutally honest with ourselves, I suspect that most of us would disagree. A great many of us live with unfulfilled expectations and desires. You know, some of us have even argued that it's a moral right to express openly our disappointments with God. And we do. We have the audacity to tell God we're disappointed with Him, and we voice our complaints openly. We had wanted other things, and instead, we've been dealt the hand which we did not want. You know, I recently listened to a podcast on the life of John Kelvin. And all the while that he was in Geneva, he deeply hated being there. It's certainly not where he would have wanted his life to be lived. He had wanted the quiet life of a scholar in a much more obscure and quiet village of Strasbourg. He felt he was constitutionally unsuited to the rigors of his pastoral work in Geneva and seemed to have disliked the city constantly. But William Farrell, whom he respected, had convinced him not only that the Lord demanded that he minister in Geneva, but that God's wrath would fall on him if he refused. And so Kelvin reluctantly went, and the rest, as they say, is history. See, I wonder how many of us can identify with that. How many of us have a feeling that it was God's hand that led us to where we are, and yet we're dissatisfied with where we are? I mean, my goodness. We reason to ourselves, I, I could use my gifts better if I were in a better place. I mean, my goodness, if this set of events had not happened, I wouldn't be in this unhappiness. 
but here I am and I, I find no satisfaction here. I find that I want. Perhaps David said I shall not want, but I can't say the same. And furthermore, we live in a culture in which the marketing industry thrives on creating a new set of needs that we never knew we had. We need whiter teeth, a better car, a, a larger house, a, a more understanding spouse, a more fulfilling career, and a bigger bank account. A restless desire for what we don't have seems to militate against David's confident assertion that his shepherd has carefully arranged to care for his sheep out of the wealth of his wisdom. You know, Psalm 23 is a brilliant analysis of how it is that any believer, when thinking rightly, can say that all of our wants are satisfied by our shepherd's watchful care. And so David, after verse 1 in the rest of Psalm 23, explains to us how he has come to the conclusion that with the Lord shepherding, that he has no wants, that he has everything he could ever want. He does so by breaking down our wants into two very easy categories. The first, in verses 2 to 3, speak of the shepherd's provision for the sheep. The Lord provides. And then in verses 4 to 6, he speaks of the protection that the shepherd provides for the sheep. The shepherd, he says, protects the sheep against death, their enemies, and for the future. So if you will, David speaks about daily needs, our deepest fears, and our greatest hopes. That, he says, has been managed so well by the great shepherd of my soul. That's why I shall not want, for the shepherd is taking care of those matters. And for our purposes, we'll look at the matter of daily needs today, and we're going to leave the question of safety in the future for tomorrow. So look again at verses 2 and 3. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So you're going to notice that David makes four distinct statements about God's provision in his life. First, deals with daily food. The second, with the need for rest. The third, with the need for restoration. And the fourth, with the need for guidance. So let's look at them one step at a time. The daily need that God provides for David is this. He makes me lie down in green pastures. You know, if you've ever been to Israel or to Jordan for that matter, you might have observed the Bedouin shepherds with their sheep. You might also have marveled that some of the places where, where shepherds lead sheep seem at least to our standards to be quite barren. I remember asking my guide, I mean, how can the sheep possibly find anything to eat in those places? It looked to me like they were leading them to places where there was only rock and sand. But I was told that sheep eat quite differently than cattle and that sheep can find food in areas where we, with an untrained eye, might not expect them to find it. And they eat little shrubs, something a cow would never eat. So it seemed to me after a while that the shepherd knew exactly what area provided the best nutrition for the sheep. The point of Psalm 23 is that the shepherd is able to find those green pastures where the sheep can feed. And furthermore, you know, sheep don't lie down when they graze. They always graze standing up. And it's only after they've finished eating and are satisfied that they will lie down. That's what David is saying. His shepherd has fed him so well that he's able to lie down. He's satisfied. There's been enough to allow him to lie down. And the point is that the shepherd has provided him with enough for the day. Now, Jesus said something very similar to that. I mean, do you remember? It's found in Matthew 6, 28 to 30. He said, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. 
They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? And then just a few verses later, Jesus adds, Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. And the point is that the same God who clothed and fed you today is going to feed and clothe you tomorrow. Keep focused on what he provides you each day. Therefore, because he has satisfied you today, you you can lie down in green pastures. You can be content, satisfied, fulfilled, joyful, thankful. You know, David said his care for me today was so great, I, I have no wants. Now, of course, the point is not that, you know, Jesus didn't want his followers to get a job, to work for a living, plan how to use their resources wisely and that kind of stuff. Instead, you know, that, you know, he just wanted them to wait for the birds of the air to drop grapes into their open mouths. No, no, Jesus was not arguing against work. Instead, he was arguing against anxiety. You know, the man or woman who is of little faith, as Jesus put it, is the person who's constantly wondering whether there's going to be enough tomorrow. See, the difference is between someone who's consumed with a restless mind and constantly grappling with the fear of want and of need. But in Psalm 23, David has expressed his assurance that because the Lord was his shepherd, he need not concern himself with want. And in practical terms, God does provide us with the strength to work, the intellect to carry out a task, the kind of work that will provide for our families and so on. And in the end, all that was required to make a living was given to us from his hand. And if that's so, does it not seem to you that our present day supply is a gift from his hand? And does it seem to you that the one who is provided for today so ably is not also tomorrow able to provide for you as well? And so the first reason David says I shall not want is because all that I needed has been supplied for me on this day, and I am content. Logan wrote to say, The greatest impact remained for the lowest point in my life. When my wife was hospitalized and eventually passed, God used Back to the Bible Canada to help me find new meaning and purpose for my life, also prompting me to give back and to get involved. Well, you know, the purpose of a Bible teaching ministry is to engage, instruct, and apply the Bible in a way that transforms lives. The impact is real, and the evidence is found in the lives and testimonies of people that we hear from every day, people like Logan. Well, your gifts to the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada make Logan's story possible. Did you know that the annual cost of just airing our ministry programs on radio is upwards of $1 million? Your gifts are essential in making these programs available every day. Stand with us in our ongoing efforts to make Bible teaching available across Canada. Call 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca to offer your gift today. The first reason David doesn't have want is because his good shepherd has made him lie down in green pastures. He's satisfied with his daily provision. And then, says David, he leads me beside quiet waters. 
at first, that sounds very much like the first line of thought. God provides for me every day and I'm satisfied. You know, I've been told that sheep don't drink at flowing or turbulent waters. They need the water to be still. And so, from that perspective, this second line seems very much like the line about green pastures. That is, my shepherd provides me with everything that I need, both to eat and to drink. Now, now that's true. But I think there's a thought here that goes beyond the first one. It was the Lutheran scholar H.C. Leupold in his excellent commentary on the Psalms. He thinks that this line about quiet waters can also refer to the typical Near Eastern inn, which provided for shepherds a watering place for their sheep. See, Leupold thinks that, that David is not referring to a lake somewhere out in the wilderness, but to a common location where shepherds would frequently come. That is, a designated area for watering. Uh, Leupold states that quiet waters doesn't quite capture the idea. He says that the idea is this. The quiet waters are found in places that are also places of rest. And here's the application. It's not just that we need our practical needs supplied. We need a mind free from anxiety. We need a mind that is at peace, at rest, a mind that is quiet. Look, you know, we live in a world of noise, you know, whether it's from televisions or radios or podcasts or just the noise of the city. Very few of us actually know what it is to be quiet, to simply have no media playing, where we're given the time to be still and to know that our Lord is God. I think it's significant. You see, we live in a day of both anxiety and of constant activity. And the idea of resting one day a week, which is mandated in the Sabbath command, or the idea of satisfaction and quiet after a hard day's work in which we're not constantly going over what we should have done or what we might have missed or what we need to do tomorrow. I mean, don't you see, that is the opposite of quiet. Anxiety is worry about future events, whereas fear is a reaction to a current event. Fear is a concern about what's happening right now, and anxiety is a concern about what might happen in the future. You know, I recently read an article on anxiety in a health magazine. It talked about the signs that you might have that indicate that you might have an anxiety disorder. And they included such things as excessive worry, problems falling asleep or staying asleep because of the things that cause you stress, irrational fears, muscle tension, chronic indigestion, compulsive behaviors, perfectionism, self-doubt, so on. A deep abiding concern for what might happen in the future that just never goes away. And in contrast, David talks about his shepherd taking him to a place of rest where not only his needs are satisfied, but a place where his anxious mind is stilled. In Psalm 4, verse 8, David says, In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. That's quite a statement because in that psalm, David is talking about men who lie about him, who slander him. And he also speaks about his anger as a reaction to what others have done to him. And yet David says, In the end of the day, I can lie down and sleep, in peace. God is looking after me. Or listen to Psalm 116, verse 7. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. In other words, reflect on what God has done for you and let your soul be filled with peace. Or how about Psalm 91, verses 9 to 11? Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. 
no plague come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. Now, there is that assurance in Psalm 23 that that once we reflect on the daily provision of God, the mind, the heart, the soul are filled with the most precious commodity, rest, peace, quietness, calm, confidence, and an assurance that all is well. And so David says, I have no wants. He provides my daily necessities, and he gives me a quiet heart. But of course, David is not done. Remember, he's speaking about the daily necessities the Good Shepherd provides. His third statement is, he restores my soul. Now, strictly speaking, this is not a shepherd image. Rather, this is a spiritual need that all believers have. You know, sheep don't have this need, but, but we do. I mean, after all, there are many ways in which we're different than sheep, and we, unlike them, need to have our souls restored. You know, James Boise says that the Hebrew words for restores my soul can mean he brings me to repentance. And I think that might be right. The word restore, you see, is found over 1,000 times in the Old Testament, and at times to restore can simply mean to refresh. So, for instance, in Psalm 19, verse 7, we read, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving or restoring the soul. So, you get the idea that the soul is being refreshed and waking up and finding new zeal. But Unger and White argue that the basic idea behind restoring is what they call a movement back to the point of departure. You know, there's a form of this expression that's found in Hosea 14, verse 4. There we read, I will heal their apostasy. Another translation says, I will heal their backsliding. So their restoring is healing a tendency in the soul to sin. And then in Psalm 32, verse 3, David is speaking about his own sin, and he says, for when I was silent, that is, when I was silent about my sin, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. And in Psalm 51, David, after his sin of adultery and murder, prays, have mercy on me, O God. See, if Psalm 23 was written by David when he was an old man, By then, David had become aware of how sinful he was. And so the statement of the restoration of the soul, I think, really is a statement of God's forgiveness and his reviving of our souls. So that even after the worst of sins, God restores the believer. And that he first forgives and then second rekindles our passion for him. And that's a blessing. And then David adds one more statement about daily provision. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his own name's sake. Let's get back to our image of a shepherd. You know, one of the things a shepherd does is to make sure that when the sheep move from one pasture to another, that the way to the next pasture is a safe one. And so the shepherd will choose the way in which the sheep are to go. You know, Proverbs 14 verse 12 says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. And if we get back to David's image of the sheep and the shepherd, David would say when the sheep pick their own path, they will die. When the shepherd picks the path for them, they will live. So what's the right way? And the answer from the scripture is always, the word is the right way, or the Old Testament, it's the law of the Lord. When Moses neared the end of his life and he gave his farewell address to Israel, he said, and I'm quoting from Deuteronomy 30, 19 to 20, he said, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, and holding fast to him, for he is your life and length of days. The Bible shows us the way in which we should live. 
whether we're making financial decisions or sexual decisions, or decisions on how to raise our children, or how to treat our enemies, or how to treat those who have sinned against us, or how to treat our neighbors, or how to pray in all things, or what to do with our anger, or how to respond to the poor and the widow and the orphan and the alien, or how to order our week, or how to make worship and the word our priority. I mean, do you know there's not one area in your life where God has not revealed his righteous character and the pathway in which we should go? So why does God reveal his path to his people? David says, for his name's sake, for the sake of his glory, for the sake of his greatness, God declares to us how great a shepherd he is by guiding us through all of life's difficulties so that our soul will be satisfied. Listen, no one ever who has followed the pathway God has provided has ever looked back with regret. But many are the people who have chosen their own path. They're filled with regret and they're filled with wanting. Look, here's why David says he wants nothing. God, he says, provides for my daily needs. God gives me a peaceful and quiet heart that rids me of anxiety. God provides forgiveness to me and a restoration of my spiritual life. And God shows me the pathway that leads to life and helps me avoid the ways of death. What good thing, he asked, do I need? For my shepherd has provided all my needs. So how about you? Open your heart, open your eyes, and begin to see you have a shepherd who takes care of all these matters. John, as you were sharing, I was thinking of these incredible provisions that God has for us, the Great Shepherd. I'm wondering, do we have to be attentive to those things? Do we have a role to play in receiving those things? Yeah, I mean, yes, we have to be attentive for sure, because I think so many things that our shepherd provides for us that we just have begun to take for granted and our lack of thankfulness and our constant attention to our neediness uh, has taken our whole attention away from the shepherd's care. So I think, Ben, that's, that's really important for us to know that. Uh, I think also, yes, we, we must go to the Lord. I mean, I mean, Jesus taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. So every day we come to him and say, Lord, provide those things that I need for today. And I do think it's important for us that a part of our anxiety is always around this whole thing. And, you know, what about tomorrow? What about tomorrow? And, and Jesus, of course, taught us to pay attention to those things that we need to pay attention to this day. The shepherd will care for us. Thanks so much, John. Remember to join us here again tomorrow on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. Our second edition of Dr. John Newfeld's booklet, What is the Gospel, has just arrived and is ready to go. This booklet provides the essentials of the gospel, God's provision, the price that was paid, and our hope for eternity. This is a wonderful tool for the follower of Jesus who needs to be assured, or for the one searching to discover what a relationship with Jesus really means. Right now, we want to offer What is the Gospel as our free gift to anyone who's never contacted us before. If this is your first time contacting us, we'd be blessed to send you Dr. John's booklet, What is the Gospel, as our gift to you. We believe it will encourage, inform, and transform your understanding and relationship to Jesus. Call us at 1-800-663-2425 
to receive your free copy of What is the Gospel?